If we look at Jesus' life through the candid eyes of those who witnessed him firsthand, we see a life that was poignant, simple, stirring. He was born of a poor family, of a destiny-laden but powerless nation that had long been humiliated and stripped of national pride. He was born in the squalid stable among animals in an out-of-the-way village, a refugee baby of a fleeing family seeking to escape political tyranny and violent religious persecution. He grew up in an obscure Galilean town with the unenviable reputation that nothing good could ever come from there. He learned to speak a language that has been virtually forgotten and that never produced widely read literature. He never wrote a novel or a textbook, nothing except an an unidentifiable scribble in the sand with his finger. He was obedient to his parents. He followed the law. He worked with his hands as a common laborer. He became an itinerant preacher and was called rabbi. His only known possessions were the clothes on his back. He lived constantly among the poor and identified with their lowliness, recognizing them to be uniquely blessed with promise. To them, he preached the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. His disciples were not brilliant leaders or worldly wise strategists. They were simple folk, mostly fishermen, a variety of ordinary people, including some reprobates, whose lives were stunned and shaped by their unforgettable friendship with him. Even in the face of angry criticism, he did not cease to dine with or converse with sinners, to mix with the lowly and the disinherited. His closest associates followed him everywhere, but often resisted the one they followed. His ministry was constantly misunderstood to those closest to him, especially by those who jockeyed for prized positions among the group, while he intentionally, quietly, took the form of a slave, silently washing his followers' feet. In his company were women who suffered wretching social reject. 
he dealt gently with the adulteress, the formerly possessed, and raised a widow's son. He was anointed with oil by one with a ruined reputation, an expensive, selfless act of worship of the one who loved her for who she was and who she could become. He reached out for other cultures despised by his own people and valued their gifts. Remarkable things were reported about him. He touched lepers. He healed the blind and gave walking strength to the cripple. He raised a young girl, an older brother, and a son from the dead. Even his enemies never denied these acts. These events pointed unmistakably to the decisive turnaround in the divine human story of conflicted love. And his enemies just despised him even more because of them. He called for a new age of high moral accountability. And his behavior was radically consistent with his teaching. Unscientific and lacking the advantages of an advanced education, he became a controversial teacher. He taught by telling stories, parables we call them. Often simply, yet sometimes perplexing to the most brilliant, learned minds in his audience. His life was never publicly celebrated except in one brief ironic moment as he entered Jerusalem for the last time. He was born to a racial group widely despised and rejected, yet many of his own people despised and rejected him. His enemies plotted to trap him and finally came to take his life. His closest friends, they deserted him and his hour when it came for him to die. He knew all along that he would be killed. He agonized in a garden, sweat pouring from his face as he approached death. He was betrayed by one of his closest associates. He submitted to slanderous trials of conflicting hate-fueled false charges. His end was terrible. His back felt the rip 
of the whip and the warmth of his blood running down the torn ribbons of his flesh. He was dripping wet with the saliva spat on him. His face was bloodied as sharp thorns formed a crown and were forcibly shoved down on his head. His wrist ached from the bruising of the manacles that clasped around them. His shoulders were bruised as he was forced to carry the very implement of his death toward Calvary. Long iron spikes were driven through his wrists and feet into the rough-hewn wood of the cross. His whole body was stretched as he hung between two thieves, suspended between heaven and earth, having to heave himself against those iron spikes in order to take his final earthly gasping breath. He felt completely forsaken. Yet all the while, he prayed for his tormentors that they may be forgiven because they did not know what they were doing. This, friends, this is the portrait of Jesus sketched for us in the Gospels. It is this one whom the disciples experienced alive again on the third day after his death. Over in Luke 24, we read this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And they remembered his words. This is the incomparable person we study. Whose extraordinary life we try to understand and and to emulate. And yet... The closer we make Jesus the object of our scrutiny, 
the more we come aware that he is examining us. How is it possible that some 2,000 years ago, there lived a man born in poverty in a remote corner of the world whose life was abruptly cut short in his early 30s, who traveled only in a small area, who never held public office, yet whose influence appears greater throughout all of history than any other. How is it that one who died the death of a criminal could be worshipped today by hundreds of millions This is the surprising contradiction of his life. But it's not its deepest mystery. Why? Why are people willing to renounce everything to follow him? And even to die in his service? How is it plausible that 2,000 years later, his life would be so fresh and people today would claim him as brother and as friend and address their prayers to him? What accounts for this extraordinary influence? Classic Christian teachers answer without apology. What was said about him is true. He is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one mediator between mankind and God. He is truly God and also truly human who liberated humanity from the power of sin by his death on that cross. You see, friends, this hypothesis explains what his life is and means better than any other alternative There is no better way to explain his extraordinary life. Today, I do not give a eulogy for a life well lived. But we give our praise to a living Savior who conquered even the grip of death itself. Amen? When he escaped the tomb and appeared to Mary, Peter, John, Thomas, and the whole group who followed him, he gave positive proof that even the lowest of humanity 
having given their life over to his saving grace, can experience life everlasting. Friends, because he lives, we too can live. Today, right now, give up your skepticism. Give up your shame. Give up yourself. Call on his name. Humbly confess your sin. Invite his spirit to come in. Wash away your sin in a watery grave. Let the spirit of Christ come into your life. For it is he alone who conquered death that can save. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. We thank you that the whole world celebrates. That there is an opportunity to see your name lifted as you lifted Jesus out of the grave. And we thank you, Father, that you loved us enough to die for us and to rise and to show us that death is no more for those who live for you. We pray, Father, that you will lend your spirit, lend your blessing in these next few moments. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.